welcome to My Life in Notes, a podcast about the profound effect that music has on our lives and relationships. Each episode, I'll be introducing you to a musician that had an influence on my writing style or my musical tastes, different people that I met along the way as a promoter or touring artist, or just bands or people that I think that you should know and that you would find interesting. On this episode, I talk with Mike Wright, guitarist of the band Frito Boat, who took my band on tour about 20 years ago. I haven't seen him since, but we've kept in touch throughout the years, and so I wanted to talk to him about his time with Fighting Jacks and the current music projects that he is working on. So I hope you enjoy us uh, catching up on some old stories and finding out what Mike is up to now. I'm excited today to be talking to my guest, Mike Wright. Mike and I first met back in the summer of 2000 when Frito Mm -hmm. Boat was kind enough to allow us to jump on the summer tour with them in July of 2000. So <laughs> yeah. who, who booked your tours? Do you even remember? We, we actually did, uh, our, we did it ourselves. Was it like one no, of you was, or was it like a group? Well, effort? It was me, me and Corey that did it. Um, there was this, there was actually, it was like pre, like pre social media, you know? Mm-hmm. So there was like, but we, we, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think certain places we kind of like, heard from like bands like here call these guys they do shows yeah and then um there was this catalog that you could get from maximum rock and roll that was called like uh, i think it was called like book your own effing life yeah yeah and uh and th- and we would go through that and just be like hey we need something in this state let's call let's just like cold call these venues yeah and i'm trying and to remember it, i know like eventually that was online but i'm not sure if that was online then or if it was like a year or two later that they had yeah it was like that, we directory. had like a cat like a like a magazine basically that was just like a white pages for for like punk rock venues that's so awesome we would just call we would it was it took a little while but we kind of like we kind of like figured out this this might be a good route like we go you know around the we kind of did a big loop around the whole country you know so yeah it was well, uh, it worked but it worked out and I always thought it was weird that you guys didn't go to Cornerstone. Yeah, we. I don't think we had the invite. Like it was Betty Rocket Records didn't really have like a, a good enough, um, like poll. I don't think at the time it was like in was that was two thousand. So they don't think yeah. they. I don't know. We played the year before, but then that year we didn't get an invite, so we just said let's just go way around it. So try <laughs> to go near it, anywhere near it. Yeah, because I remember we met up with you guys in, in Grand Rapids and kind of went from there. And I could not tell you how we ended up jumping on with you guys for a few weeks. Like, I think I was just like, hey, can we join you for a bit? And you guys are like, yeah, whatever. That's that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, we were just like, cool. Like, it's cool to know some bands from, from uh, you know, the West Coast. Like, the West Coast is, was kind of its own thing, but it was cool to know bands that are not from the West Coast. And they would know, like maybe some people out in those areas or like where to go, where not to go. Right. Uh, it's yeah. kind of, we're, we're pretty isolated out here, like West of the Rockies, you know, so it takes a long time to get out to that Midwest area. And uh, so we primarily just toured, like, like most of the time we toured just West coast, like all the way up and down, like for years, you know, but that was, that was like the, the only time in, in Frito boat history that we went the whole way around the country. So, the first and last. <laughs> first and last, yes, yes. Well, one, spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, I remember uh, a couple of things from there. You know, I remember the first place we played in Grand Rapids. I remember they had Double Dragon Arcade. I don't remember why I remember that, but it's like, that was a pretty <laughs> cool hilarious. venue. It was really big. I remember it was like cavernous and like dark. And then like down in the basement, they had like some games and like, wow. Fed, probably fed us pizza. <laughs> probably, probably, yeah. And then, uh, I remember uh, we met up with in Grand Island, Nebraska, with with General Star. I think we stayed at one of their houses, and then they came along to the next show or two. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember that I remember you guys throwing powdered sugar donuts at at each other's vans. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I don't know if that was like a regular thing for you guys or not. But. That was regular. It got really extreme um, later on with Fighting Jacks when we 
Driftwood tour with Dogwood, we got in a lot of like crazy fan wars. <laughs> but I think that was the start of it was with you guys for sure. Well, I mean, then we weren't too far out of line because I remember we were at Cornerstone. So I think we were like getting into our supplies from Cornerstone and like throwing like peanut butter dipped sandwiches. And I think we were about to pull out a jar of chili when we pulled over and someone was like, yo, yo, you guys need to chill out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. We, we did like, we got into some wars with like, uh, fireworks. Oh my gosh. Like ro- shooting Roman candles out of the van at each other on, on different occasions. Uh, or this kind of crude, but we would like fill up, you go at like a gas station, you could get like a, get a condom and fill it up with water and it'd be like a giant water balloon. Jeez. And then you just throw that at the other van out the window, you know, but a lot of times the, or those would, would, would backlash on you. Cause you, it would, if you, if depending on where you're driving, all the water would just splash right back in your window. Right. You careful. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think the, the biggest memory from that tour though had to be the Boise show. Because we played at Club Impact and that guy had like all the wild cars and we stayed at his house and Weezer played like two blocks down from us. Do you remember that? Was that in um was that in Tacoma or was that in Boise? That was in Boise. Uh Tacoma okay. was uh maybe Tacoma was Club Impact, but Boise was yeah, where, yeah. where all the cool stuff happened. <laughs> Tacoma was yeah. where they were like, Yeah, there was a drive by shooting last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Totally. And I think there was fireworks was cool involved venue. in Tacoma, if I remember right. Yeah, like out in I the hotel so park. Too, yeah. That was like the it was like really hard to play in Seattle at that time, but but Tacoma was like would always have pretty good shows and it was like kinda on the outskirts, but it was but it was a lot of people went out there, but it was a little sketchier than Seattle, I guess. Yeah, I think that was the best actual show we played on the tour. Like I said, like Boise was really cool because that guy had like a pool and like a color changing car and <laughs> all that other stuff and Weezer played and got to hear yeah. them. From, I got to like hear them from the alley or something like that before we all played. And like, oh, I guess we'll now, right. now we'll go back and we'll play a show to 20 people. But <laughs> that's right. We were like, we were like, we, we were stoked about the show and then we drive up and we found out that Weezer was playing like a couple doors down the same time. And like, Oh great. And if I remember <laughs> right, I don't even think I knew Weezer was like back together. I think they had been inactive. And then I'm like, that was my introduction that, Hey, Weezer's back. Oh, maybe so. That was like the green album era or something. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. But anyway, crazy. Yeah. So, um, you know, we were talking before we started just, you know, about the same age jumping on guitar and stuff. So you grew up in California, right around the San Jose area where you guys were from, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just like, you know, grew up like just kind of like a normal family, you know, went to church, played sports, did all that kind of stuff. Um, got into music you know, like punk music or like rock music, you know, around like the early nineties, 90, 92 or 93. And, uh, there was like this one, um, you know, that was like around the era of, of like, uh, you know, green day and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, sublime and no doubt and all those bands. And then, um, there was one a local uh, college radio station that would play like Christian rock music, like for an hour or two once a week. And that was the, the, that was like the very beginning of tooth and nail too. So it was like, I first heard like MXPX and, and Starflyer 59 and like, uh, five iron frenzy and some of those bands like right around that time too. So, Oh, very I cool. Was, I was like, wow, there's Christian music. That's not lame. And, uh, that's, and th- that was the kind of music that I liked, you know, that fit along the same with, you know, with the bands that I was already liking from the radio, you know, you, you didn't really know like that there was, there's, you didn't really know the genres back then. So you had like, you know, you didn't really know that like Offspring or Green Day were different than Nirvana or or like Pearl Jam or whatever. You just liked everything, you know. Right, right. So you heard Five Iron Frenzy and you're like, I'm going to start a ska band right this minute. Yeah, well, well I had already been playing guitar for a few years. And then I, I met, um, the, well, the drummer, the Mike from the drummer from Frito Boat, he and I went to church youth group together. And I knew I was finally like, all right, I, I played I played guitar in the worship group when I was, you know, like 15 and 16 and I uh, learned, you know, and then we were, we were talking about trying to start a band and I had just met Corey um, and uh, he was like, I play bass. So we started to get together and we were just trying to, we didn't have any idea what we were doing. We just were like, we didn't even know like any other band songs or covers or anything. We were just kind of like winging it uh, when we started to play together. And then we finally got 
like more and more guys and it turned out actually to be like kind of ridiculous i think we had like 10 band members <laughs> for that first year as, as a band of frito boat and we were just like we like uh five iron and and um and we like uh supertones and we you know and we liked uh less than jake and no effects and mxpx so we kind of just tried to do like a rip off of all those bands combined you know as best as we could so how do you go from just like collecting all those members and then next thing you know, you're on Betty Rocket? Well, we we were playing, we played a lot of shows. I think we probably played like, for being like, you know, 17 year old kids, just, you know, driving around trying to figure things out. We I think we probably played like 50 or 60 shows that first year. And uh, the, this guy, Phil, uh, who started Betty Rocket, he somehow saw us or heard our, heard our demo or something and reached out and he's like, Hey, I'm in Santa Cruz. I'm starting a label. Do you guys want to be on it? And we were just like, sure. You know? <laughs> and it was like, so unofficial. Like it was like, uh, like, you know, he, there wasn't anything like hardcore about the contract or anything. It was just like, here, you want to put out some albums and, and that's it. And we were like, sure, let's do it. And so were you there, guys you the know, first pretty, Betty rocket band or right? Like, yeah. Kind of we were first the first band. Yeah. First band to come out. And, uh, uh, you know, we were like, we, you know, they were on a limited budget. So like we had to drive all the way, we went all the way up to Portland to record that first album. And then, you know, the guy who recorded us was kind of just like doing it as a favor and was like, these kids don't even know what they're doing. So we kind of just, the recording was kind of a free for all. And uh, we didn't know what we were doing. But it, it came out, you know? And, oh, I definitely uh, remember that. <laughs> I think when we went on tour with you guys, I was 18 yeah. and some of the guys were like 16 and 17 and we had already been mm-hmm. recording twice and both of them were, were like not good experiences because we were not professional and had no idea what we were doing. And like the people recording yeah. us would be like, oh, this is so frustrating. What are you guys even trying to do? And we're like, hey, it's punk, you know, like, and they're like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. And you don't <laughs> even know, like, you're just like, I have an amp and a guitar and I have like a distortion pedal or whatever, you know, you don't know, nobody even knew like what good good guitar tone was or bad tone or whatever, <laughs> right. you know, like this is just, you turn it on. You're like, I think this is good. And, and, uh, if the engineer wasn't like, no, this is what you got to do. Then it just turned out how it turned out because you didn't really, you didn't really have a strong opinion one way or another. It was weird. Right. So, you know, you guys do that first record after that record comes out, you know, you said you played a lot of shows the first year. Did that grow even more the second year? Yeah. Well, we, we, um, we were, we were touring a lot, like, like on the West Coast, going up and down, like through, you know, from you know Seattle all the way down to like San Diego, and um, re, you know, we wouldn't go. I don't think we went past Reno at first, but then we did our first that first summer tour, um, in I think it was like '99 or I think it might have been '99, um, and we still had the horn section. We still had, you know, we went all the way to Cornerstone. We, I think we went as far east as maybe St. Louis or something, you know, out there. And it was with uh, Noggin Toboggan, and uh, we, you know, we had a blast. But it was just kind of a free for all with that many guys. You know, we had to take multiple. Uh, we didn't have a big van, so we had to like use multiple cars and <laughs> That's uh, wild. and share gear, and it was just kind of crazy. And we, um, you know, some of the guys in the band were still only like sixteen. Or, or 17 at that time. And, um, we were just like, we're just like going, I mean, it's thinking back on it now, it's, it sounds ridiculous. I mean, it was like nine guys in the band and I think we would eat, you know, we would, we weren't even careful on like what our per diems were for the, for the day <laughs> or anything like that. Everybody let's all go to Denny's for dinner every night. You know, I don't even know what we spent. We probably spent all the money, but that we made from all the shows on like food, but we didn't even care because nobody had, you know, nobody even had a cell phone then. We didn't have, nobody had any bills. We all lived with our parents. I mean, we had no, no I think one guy in the band might've had like a really basic old cell phone and that was it. You know, we, it was just, it's crazy to think about that now, but that's just how it was. And it was just like an adventure, you know? So, yeah. I don't know if you'd remember, but did you guys split off from Noggin Toboggan after Cornerstone? I don't remember. We, we might have they might have kept going longer and then we maybe had to come back towards the West coast or something. I'm just curious because remember. I'm pretty sure that I booked Noggin Toboggan in the summer of 99, but I had never seen you guys. And I'm not even sure if I knew you guys weren't a ska band anymore when we like agreed to book some shows and ended up jumping on the tour and stuff. I, 
I'm not yeah, positive. Oh. Well, I know that I, after that tour, um, we came back and we were starting to write more music and um, kind of wanted to go in like a slightly more serious direction. You know, we were, you know, a lot of the Frito Boat songs, some of them had, you know, some of them were serious, some of them were more goofy. And we always kind of threw in like some like hardcore, uh, like hardcore breakdowns or some fast punk parts. And, you know, the, the guys in the band, like the, 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 the three horn players in the band were like, Hey, we're, we're gonna, we're going to quit. I think we're going to go to college or whatever. And, um, they weren't, none of them were like writing any of the parts or involved in the songwriting or anything. So we just said like, let's just, you know, they kind of wanted to leave and we were like, cool, let's not replace them. Let's just be a punk band. Yeah, that every, everyone was cool with it at that here. point. Yeah, it wasn't any hard feelings or anything. We were like, hey, you know what? We let's just do this. We don't want. We don't really feel like playing these old songs or like, you know, finding new guys or anything. So, right. So, so by the time uh, we, we did met that you for, guys, yeah, yeah. You, you so guys that was like we, we had already gone like um, a year, about a year and a half until that tour as just a punk band. So, that's awesome. What was it like? Yeah. Uh, like was Betty Rocket kind of a, a family? type atmosphere as far as like the other bands and the label what was that experience like they, it totally was i mean there were every band was um really cool and like you know we all everybody kind of hung out whenever we could and we we did little tours together um everybody kind of had the same uh you know mindset in a lot of ways i mean everyone was pretty young in all the bands uh but uh the it was super relaxed label it was you know, didn't have the budget or the or the cred as like Tooth and Nail did, I guess, at the time. But uh, we had a lot of fun with all the bands. Uh, they were all really good bands. I mean, maybe the, you know, I, I kind of I would have wished like some of those bands on the label had, uh, you know, better sounding recordings in you know in the long run. Just you know, it would have been nice if the, if you could have heard some of those bands uh, records turn out a little better than they did. But uh, yeah, you but know, overall it was great. Yeah. It's funny. I think by, you know, 99 or 2000, we were kind of in a position where we were more interested in, you know, like Betty Rocket than we were like a label like Tooth and Nail. And part of that might have been like, maybe this is a real, a more realistic option. But also, I think part of it was just, you know, we had uh, hung out with the guys from like Sick of Change a couple of times and Noggin Toboggan. Mm -hmm. And it, it just seemed like a, kind of a cooler place to be. I don't know. Like tooth and nail was so huge at that time too. And all the bands yeah. were kind of all over the board. So maybe it yeah. was just like everything was kind of on the same page. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of yeah. interesting. You know, I wish a lot of that stuff was still available on streaming. Cause some of it, I, I don't know if just no one wanted it up there, but, um, I know I, it's a bummer. I mean, we've kind of, it, I, I don't think there's any kind of like legal reason, like any, why any of the, the Betty Rocket bands can't just put their music up onto things now at, at this point, you know, because the label hasn't been a thing for like 15 years now. And, um, and well, I know sure. Phil, Philip on the owner, he's, you know, he's moved on and he, he, I mean, he's a cool guy. He's, he, he does like super high end, like real estate and stuff like that. And he's a really cool guy. I don't think he would have any hard feelings, but he's not putting any money into like maintaining any kind of an online Betty Rocket thing, you know? So, Right, you know, I, I hope you know, I like wish Phil's that those things come for the ten hours and streaming. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he cares. I mean, you know, you know, we. I'm sure all the bands could put their stuff up if they want to. But yeah, I was gonna say, you know, like I think the one that really comes to mind is I don't think the second Watashi Wall record is on like Spotify or anything like that. I know, and, I know. That's that's really one of the only ones that's like maybe a gray area because they they did end up going on to Tooth and Nail and they had a really long contract that kind of locked them in. So. Mm -hmm. There could be some issues with with uh, just in their case, but I think everyone else on the label would pretty much do whatever they want. Yeah, if they're interested and, to do it. And Seth is on my list to eventually have him on the podcast. Cool, so I'll cool. definitely have to to ask him. He's like one of my favorite singer songwriters people that I've never met. Like he just seems yeah. like one, he just seems like a real cool dude. And like I said, I, I love his songwriting and everything. So. Definitely gonna have to try and get him on, especially since they're semi-active again. Yeah, he's got a lot of different projects and different, you know, times in life, and you know, I'm sure he's some cool stories to definitely. I haven't seen him in a handful of years, but he's always seemed like such a, a genuine dude whenever we get to hang out. 
Well, it's wild. I mean, like we're talking about how young you guys were, but they were even younger. <laughs> right. They were like the little brothers of the uh, Noggin Toboggan guys. Right. Right. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. So, I know so, everybody in that label was like, I, I mean, everybody was like, you know, high school or early college, all the bands. <laughs> and it's amazing that we got through those tours and like, you know, being, you know, that we actually made it to shows and played and nothing you know, nobody got like lost or hurt or <laughs> right any in trouble in any way. It's crazy. It's just a, it's a different world than what people can imagine now as far as touring or or traveling. You know, it's crazy. Right. So what you were saying earlier, you know, you're all over the country uh, on that that tour in 2000, mm-hmm. and then you guys get back, and that's where things kind of start to end with Frito Boat. Was that just kind of one of the same things where some guys want to move on? Well, yeah, we wanted to, we were actually like talking about changing the band name and um, we were going to, you know, kind of make it kind of, you know, get away from the, the, the past of some of the goofier ska elements. And, um, and then when we got home from the tour, just like a couple of the guys were like, Hey, I kind of want to do a different type of music or a different band you know, and, uh, so we were kind of like at that, we were at the crossroads and we just said like, let's just let's just call it then, you know, it was kind of bittersweet. Um, but you know, it was like right away we started fighting jacks and it was like three, you know, three members from Frito boat, um, along with Corey's brother, Casey, that started that. So we kind of like knew we were going to do something right away. And then, uh, you know, the other guys, uh, you know, the singer Martin was going away to college and, uh, and Dave, uh, Cohen was, he was already kind of like starting another band with some other guys that we knew locally in San Jose too. So just, it kind of worked out. I mean, it was, it was a little weird, but it, but it didn't last, the weirdness didn't last long. It was like a month of kind of being sad about it. And then we just all started doing stuff. Again. So, yeah. Well, and not to fast forward too much, but you guys end up signing with tooth and nail. What was that process like for you? Well, it was, it was really cool. I mean, we were, we were like touring, um, just on our own we, we were, you know, we were still going up. We had a lot of connections still from the old days. So we were like, going up and playing in Tom Fest in Washington and, and, um, you know, still playing all over the West coast, all the way down South. And, um, someone, someone like put us in touch with Bill power after we had put out a demo. Bill power was from tooth and nail. And, uh, I think it might've been like Josh from, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's her name's, I, I can't remember if it was Josh or it might've been like someone from dogwood or, or uh, uh, from uh, Josh from A Beautiful Mistake, or somebody, it was somebody down in the San Diego area that was like associated with Tooth and Nail and was like, hey, talk, you know, Bill Power, you check these guys out. And uh, so, so yeah, so then we, we, we were actually, it was pretty sweet. We, you know, we were like talking with Bill. We, we went up to Washington and played at Club Impact again in Tacoma and met Bill. And uh, they wanted, he, you know, he's like, we want to sign you guys. And, uh, and then like, we kind of heard like nothing for like a month and it was kind of got weird. And it turns out like Bill, Bill power left the label at that time. Um, and a bunch of, it, a bunch of stuff kind of changed around. So it was like the, the people that really were into us, uh, that had discovered us, they left the label. And so we, so they still wanted to sign us, but it took a little while longer. And, um, and then by then, you know, a lot of music had been changing. There was like, like the screamo uh, scene got like really big in that year. It was like 2003 mm-hmm. and uh, it's just certain, certain things were just changing, you know, tooth and nail was changing away from the more like punk and, uh, and rock kind of like uh, scenes. And there was going definitely more towards that, like emo and screamo kind of scene. So it was a, it was kind of weird because it, at first it was super exciting. And then it was, it took, it took a really long time for, our, our, our manager and tooth and nail to work all the details out. And then we recorded. And by then it, it was almost like, uh, so much stuff had changed that we, they, you know, we were just like one of the, one of the many, many bands on the label that, uh, that they put out all at the same time. And we didn't really get, we felt like we didn't get like a lot of a push that some of the bands did, but it was just kind of a weird time in music. I think. Yeah. Cause I remember, you know, kind of thinking like, Oh, 
they have a band and they got signed and here's a, here's an album. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, there was like, a, I mean, that was like three years. We, you know, from when we started the band till we, till we got signed, it was about three years, I think. And, uh, in that time we'd been, we'd been touring a lot on our own anyways, but it, our album was done for, I think it was done for like seven or eight months before it came out, if, if not more. And so it kind of killed our momentum a little bit because it took so long for the, the legal side of it, of everything to, to get finalized that it, by then, um, I don't know what happened, but it just didn't, we didn't get like the, we didn't get a lot of push. We didn't get any hookup on, the, on a lot of touring. And, um, so we just tried to do it on our own. I mean, we were friends, we were good friends with Dogwood. So we, we did a lot of touring with Dogwood. We kind of toured with like the, the remaining punk rock kind of bands in tooth and nail. And in those scenes, instead of, fitting in we didn't really fit in with that screamo uh kind of like uh emo uh warp tour kind of scene that was happening at the time right well i know that's what a lot of bands around that time were kind of saying is you know things have changed and it's a lot more difficult than it used to be so yeah yeah um, it was weird we were kind of like too we were like too heavy of rock for the kind of like soft like indie style that was really popular and then we weren't we weren't screamy or, or hardcore enough at all for the screamo scene. So we kind of got in this weird in-between, uh, you know, we were like in this in-between place that, that didn't seem to have a, have a scene or a, a lot of uh, excitement at the time. It was weird. Yeah. And then you guys eventually went to go and do the second record. Were you guys dropped from the label before the second record or had you started it when you guys decided the split ways with the record label well no we were we were um we were recording demos and still touring we toured that whole year after the album came out like the whole year and a half and we had a bunch of new songs and we hadn't really heard we, we weren't getting any info we weren't getting like any calls or emails back from tooth and nail and and then and we were like hey we have a bunch of demos we want to share with you guys and then we just got a letter that said you guys that we were dropped from the label so we're like all right we we actually had a pretty good contract with them. Um, that was like, we it was like a one album deal plus options for other lab, for other albums. Oh, so nice. I know that like a lot of bands on the label had like a five five to seven album deal, like mm-hmm. no, and and it included any future bands and all this stuff. And we we had a really good contract compared to that. So they just let us off the contract. They weren't they weren't really into what we were doing. They never even heard the newer songs that we were. <laughs> We're writing at all. That's kind of but, wild. Um, Do you think that you weird. guys avoided the wild contract because of Bill leaving and everything? Do you think they were like, "Well, we probably should still sign this band, but let's not get too crazy with this"? I think. I think we. Well, we had um, since it wasn't like our first band at that point. Um, we had already been. You know, most of us had been in a band for a couple years already. Um, we, at the time, we actually had a, a like a higher profile manager in the Bay area that was like a manager for, uh, for smash mouth and a few other like bigger pot, kind of like pop bands mm-hmm. that were more mainstream. So they, they kind of fought really hard for us on our end and were you know, a little more, you know, most of the bands didn't even have a, have a manager or a lawyer or anything at the time. So it was like, here's your contract. And you're just like, yes, I'll sign it. Right. And right. <laughs> it was a lot more hands off on ours. It was like the manager, our manager was handling it. And you'd be like, Hey, you know, they're still interested. We're working on the details. And uh, so I think that was why we had a really good contract. But I think that might have also hurt us in some ways because Tooth and Nail is like, all right, you guys have a really, you know, high-end manager. You you know, your manager can book your tours and we're not going to really hook you up either. So it's hard to know. I mean, it's all everything, you know, it's all in the past, like whatever. But, right. Uh, so but that- by the time, you know, we, we actually had a re- really weird year that was like 2006 where we uh, we got dropped by the label as we were like, we had already written a full record we got dropped um, and then we played Tom Fest and I think we played like Joshua Fest we played a couple of different festivals I can't remember which one it was from but we came home from tour and like all of our gear got stolen our van and trailer everything got stolen in the middle of the night we didn't we were just tired we didn't unload everything like we always do it was like the one time we said we were you know we were lazy and we we didn't unload the gear and then we got, we got everything got ripped off. So that wow. was kind of like the end of like 
Fighting Jacks being like a full-time band. And at that point we kind of, it kind of got the wind knocked out of our sails a little bit. So we, you know, you know, I, at that time I, I was getting married and the other guys were like in serious relationships and, and, and kind of were tired of, uh, you know, tired of making no money and doing like harder, you know, hard touring. And, uh, so that's kind of when we just, we kind of wrapped it up. We actually recorded the, the full album over that next year. Um, but then, you know, that was the album that we finally put out in 2017. So it took like 10 years to finally put it out because we just went on a break for that whole time. Was it done for the, all that time or was it one of those things where you were just like slowly tweaking it for years? Well, no, years? We, it was, uh, it was, it was mostly done that whole time. Like, but then, um, we finally got around to like doing like a final mix and like choose, we had, we actually had a few extra songs that we did. So we finally, finally did the final mix and chose the song, uh, like listing and everything for the album in like 2015 and 2016. And then That's finally wild. put it out in 2017. So I think the biggest question of all of that story there is, did you guys ever end up getting to play with Smash Mouth since you shared a manager? We actually didn't. We, <laughs> the funny, funny though, is like the, the singer from Smash Mouth, uh, Steve Harwell was like, we saw him a lot at the manager's office. And he actually had around the time when we were talking with tooth and nail and we were like, look, we were talking to other labels he was starting a record label. Um, I don't remember what it was called. I, you know, it was he was starting his own label, and he was like, "This is going to be the biggest thing," and Fighting Jacks is going to be on my label. And we we were like, "No, we're not. We don't, <laughs> we don't want anything to do with you." And and so he was just like, "Well, if you guys, you know," he basically like hated us for for uh, the rest of the time that we were with that management. And so we never played with Smash Mouth. Like we, you know it was just weird. Like the guy, the guy was like, would, would tell our manager that like he saw us around town and we were like flipping him off and stuff. And we never saw him anywhere. Like nobody had any contact with him, but he was convinced that like we were like, you know, following him around and like mad dogging him for some reason. It was, it was weird. It probably makes a lot more sense now with some of the more recent stories about him. (laughs) It was very, it was very weird. Yeah. I mean, they were like, they were, you know, they kind of had a weird reputation because they were like, these kind of like punk rock guys from, from San Jose that had a, you know, pretty good following. And then they somehow got that, you know, they had that one, that one walking on the sun song. Mm-hmm. And then they became a, like a big pop band, but they were in, at heart, they were kind of more like these punk rock, you know, partier dudes. So right. I think they kind of were, they kind of got in a lot of trouble here and there because they were, you know, they're like playing and they're playing for like Disney kids, but they're like these kind of like hard partying, like, punk dudes you know that don't really know what, what to do around kids kind of it was weird i don't know it was weird so but the, it was it was funny it was you know we we had a, you know we we kind of just kind of like ignored that guy because he was he was so weird towards us so so the headline here is <laughs> smash mouth snub kills fighting jack's career <laughs> pretty much yeah i mean maybe <laughs> no maybe if we signed with his label that would have been the big breakthrough that we needed you know but i mean <laughs> i don't know none of us remember it. anything about him having a label so yeah i think i no. doubt, i doubt it <laughs> yeah i don't think that was that became a big thing so you were saying around the time you guys were wrapping up like doing that second record and stuff you got married you kind of moved on um mm-hmm. everyone kind of went about quote unquote real life i suppose uh, yeah it was yeah when did you get back into music then so there was like a lot, a, quite a few years where it was, it was kind of hard to like figure out like a, what my, like what my identity, like what my path in life would be. Um, you know, same with the other guys in the band. I mean, we were like just trying to figure it out because that for so, you know, from when you were 17 till when you're like 25 or 20, almost maybe I guess 17 to 27, like 10 years of your life. You're like, I'm a band guy. I'm touring. That's my life. And, uh, and then it was like, that's all kind of gone. So what are you going to do? You know? So it was like figuring out, you know, it was first just like finding job, a job. And then like this job, you know, this kind of job sucks. What am I going to do? Uh, I actually, uh, went to culinary school and I worked as a chef for about five years. Um, and you know, that was pretty cool. Cause it was like, you have some creativity, like kind of in the same way that you have music, uh, you know, but it was also, but it was kind of depressing, like 
it was hard to figure out like what what am I supposed to do with my life? I thought that it was supposed to be in this one way and it's not working out. And um, so you know, it's, it's pretty easy to kind of fall into different bouts of depression during those times. And uh, you know, I was like married and you know everything else seemed cool, but it was definitely like a, a rough time here and there. Um, and you know, I finally started like getting back into music around 2014. Uh, I guess 2012 and 2014, kind of in somewhere in there. Um, I, there ha I had a couple different projects. I started working on uh, Ironside, which is was kind of the just like the the idea that that me and uh, David Mast, who was from Echo Cast and from uh, Redline, he, they were one of the bands that Fighting Jacks toured with a lot, and we uh, we were like, let's do. We were the only guys in our bands that liked metal that like metal is like one of our influences more than everyone else in our bands so we said let's let's start a band let's do some kind of crazy metal project and so that was like when i first started trying to write whole songs and uh on my own and record myself like write record my own demos so i started learning pro tools and like you know getting a few like getting you know trying to get my guitars to sound better working on like learning how to how to uh how to record guitars properly. And, uh, and then I, I, you know, I started another group with a couple of local guys in San Jose that was called mercy high. And, uh, and that was really cool. Uh, kind of like stonery, uh, kind of space rock thing, but you know, everybody in those bands were all like in multiple bands. So it was kind of hard to get off the ground, but, um, but definitely like, you know, going, you know, starting Ironside, starting mercy high, uh, were, were kind of the two things that, helped me get back into it. But honestly, like one of the main things that got me actually back into music was, um, David Mass, singer for Echo Cast, singer for Ironside. He got an, he got asked to work, um, on a, this cruise ship thing called Motorheads Motorboat, <laughs> which was like a, like a metal cruise. So like all the bands, you know, that were, there was going to be Motorhead, uh, Anthrax, Down, Testament, you know, a whole bunch of other bands all playing on a cruise ship. Um, at, and it's going to, you know, be on like a five day cruise in the Caribbean. And, uh, they asked, uh, Dave and I to work on it. So going on that, honestly, that was in 2014 at the end of the year, that was honestly like a Kickstarter to like really want to do music again, you know, just like seeing really good musicians on a ship, seeing some of my like idols that I grew up, you know, being a fan of since I was, you know, 12 years old, you know, seeing them in person, meeting them, hanging out. And it was, it was definitely like the most exciting, like the most of a turning point to get me back into music than anything else. I was always kind of curious how you got into that because I remember seeing you post on Facebook and stuff about doing like ship rocked and stuff. Yeah. So I was, yeah, I was the, curious how that came about. Yeah. It was crazy. Cause the, the, the same people that did the motorheads motorboat, uh, they also, they, they also do a, a cruise that's called ship rock. So, we worked on, I think for five or six years, maybe or so, we worked on uh, Ship Rocked every year. And then we worked on a couple of the Motorhead cruises when they did those until Lemmy passed away. And, uh, you know, we worked as artist hospitality. So we were just like, you know, we were just making sure that all the artists had their, had their like food and beer and stuff set up properly for them in the backstage. It was just, it was super, it was pretty easy. And it was just like a really fun time to be around musicians again and kind of feel like you're, you're part of like, uh, you know, part of like the industry again. Yeah. And, um, and that was also like, really like, wow, I need to really seeing these people like, like in such a more intimate setting. Uh, it was very much like, I need, really need to step up my game as far as like my guitar playing, my songwriting, uh, you know, the quality of what I'm, doing like my my gear and my my uh my amp everything everything that i'm playing through needs to be set up like on a more professional level even if i'm not a full-time touring person you know like it was like i need to step up and be try to be on the level that these guys are on because that's really what it takes you know so that was a that was definitely like a kick in the butt and, and uh really inspiring in a lot of ways it's cool yeah it's awesome how sometimes just seeing other people do stuff is kind of what gets you there and 
I, I can completely relate. You know, I think 2005, 2006 is when I just got burnt out. You know, we had run a venue for over a year and it was an all ages yeah. venue. So there was like basically no money and I was working other jobs and stuff. So yeah. I just kind of like ducked out on music for a while, you know, where I still mm-hmm. enjoyed it. But I was just like, I don't even think I went to shows for a while. I was just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like, you know, at first that was around the same time when I got married. It was kind of nice being away from it. And then you kind of get used to it, but then you, you're just like every, you know, every spring you'd be sad you're not on tour or like you're, you're, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the venues close or the scenes kind of change and you always kind of like, there's a little bit of like a melancholy wishing you were part of it, even if you're not, you know? Yeah. You know, and I, th- I think that I was really lucky that we just had made such good friends over the years that whether it was uh, like me without you or Norma Jean or. Uh, the chariot, you know, some of those bands and related yeah. acts continuing to tour. So when they would come around, I'd be like, you know what, this is enough motivation. Like sometimes it was more about seeing the people than it was the band, you know? I, right, right. Today I'd say Me Without You is easily one of my favorite bands. But when I first met those guys, mm-hmm. like I wasn't really into their music. I didn't get it. You know, I think it was definitely into like punk and hardcore and they were just something mm-hmm. different and I didn't get it. And then yeah. over the years, I just loved those dudes so much. And then eventually I, came to love their music as much as I, as I love them. So, you know, yeah. that was, that was always nice to kind of get pulled back in and kind of live vicariously through mm-hmm. them for the moment. I, I Those think guys that, are super inspiring, like for, you know, their music and their, like their integrity, you know, they're, they're legit, le- legit dudes yeah, in so he, many ways. You know, I, I, I would pay to just like, sit and listen to Aaron talk about things that I don't understand or that maybe I have a small understanding of and just Mm -hmm. go back and forth. And, you know, Mike's so passionate about Philly sports and, you know, you (laughs) can talk to all those dudes about music, sports, philosophy. Like, it's just a great time whenever I see those guys, like, uh, it's going to be a bummer when that doesn't happen anymore. So, (laughs) right. Right. Um, Right. So you get back into music, you start doing that stuff. You know, you said you started Mm -hmm. working on the, the recording and just all the sound and stuff like that. Um, you said you were a cook for a while. Uh, where did you go after that? So, yeah, so it was actually a, a really, I think it was just like all meant to be, you know, like having to get humbled, get out of music, kind of refine my identity as like a person, as a husband, um, as a musician, but not tied in with being, you know, from any certain band or, you know, thinking I'm like, cooler or more successful than I am. Um, you know, I, 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 I went, I finished culinary school and by the time I finished, I was actually so burned out on the the schedule that I was working, which was like mostly nights and weekends. And it was just not, it was, it, it was frustrating being married when you my wife was working a day job. And I, you know, I, I didn't, it, it felt uncertain. A lot of, there's so much, so much turnover in like working in, in, in restaurants or in catering and all these things. And, uh, the schedule was, was, was rough. And my, my mom actually was like, Hey, you know, do you want to get a job with the city? You know, she works for the city of San Jose for her whole career. And she said, like, we could get, you know, you have to apply, but there's, there's some jobs opening and, uh, you know, getting a job in, um, an office job for the water department allowed me, I, I got in, got in, got this job, it was like a full-time job that was, you know, had benefits and it had a regular, regular daytime hours and no weekends, no, no overtime. Like it was very structured. And I realized like, I really do really well creatively if I'm in a structured, like if I have a structured job when I'm off work, I, I feel really relaxed about being really creative. And that was like, I just started developing like a, like a, uh, uh, a regimented time, like once or twice a week, once like one or two nights a week where I'm just playing guitar, you know, going, going into the office, you know, close the door, work on music. And, uh, and, and, and so I just kind of got into a habit of that and it, and it, and it's definitely was like the way to go, you know, and that's for me, at least that was the way to go. Like having that kind of like regular structure, uh, allowed me to finally be creative again and, and get inspired to do more and more music. And then, and then honestly, like it was, uh, there's been a lot of transition, you know, we, we, 
my wife and I decided to move down from the Bay Area down to the LA area a couple years ago. Um, you know, the, the guys we had been we had been finally working on um, you know getting a band together for Ironside to start playing some shows. Uh, we were coming down here a lot. We loved it down here in the in the LA area. Um, I you know I got a job with the city of Burbank, so we we came down here, and that was right before COVID happened and so then it was like the lockdown happened just like two and a half months after we moved here so (laughs) that's so that's you know it's a weird transition to move you know finally move after you're almost 40 years old to a different area and then have everything be closed um and then i had on top of that you know my my job started having me work from home because covid was -hmm. happening and people were getting sick so it was like start working at home and that just allowed me even more and more time to be, to work on music. So I spent, a, you know, most of 2020 and 2021 just working on music, uh, like writing, writing, recording as many songs as I could, you know, I, and I started getting into, um, you know, actually started wanting to work on mixing other bands and work on production. And you were actually one of the first people that hit me up with working with one of your bands. Yeah, absolutely. So that was like kind of a cool thing to like learn on the fly, working out with the band, you know, mixing their out their songs without uh, without any pressure, you right. know, too. So uh, it was it's just been a crazy two years of like learning so much more than I had that you know expanding my horizons on like what I what I can do as a recorder as a you know recording engineer as a musician. Um, it's just, it's it's been, it's been an awesome couple of years, even during like such a weird time in life, you know, with COVID. So, well, that's a great place to plug you here. You know, it was a great experience working with you on that, on that track. I really liked what you did with it. And, uh, you know, the band I was managing at the time was, was having some trouble getting stuff mixed the way they wanted. And so I just wanted to grab a, a fresh set of ears and some new ideas and see where we could go with that. And, um, definitely cool. a great experience so if you guys are looking for uh something to get mixed definitely hit up mike like uh it's, it's a great process you know i, I, I yeah. feel like you're a great communicator and so you lay you lay out the expectations and anything we didn't think of you were like well what do you want to do about this and we're like well what, what do you mean what should we do about this so mm-hmm. uh definitely a good a good experience so uh we'll give you cool. a little plug there um thanks and now you've got a couple projects going that you're working on too uh Let's talk about St. Didicus. That was a project that uh, has kind of been quiet. I've heard a little bit about it here and there, but that's something you've got involved with more recently, right? Yeah. So, like, I I kind of stayed in touch over the years with Josh Kimball from Dogwood. Um, you know, we would, like, we would, like, text each other or email each other once in a while and be like, hey, what's up, dude? And, um, what's going on? And, I, you know, I think... I, I hit him up. Dogwood played a couple shows. Maybe it was like two, two or three years ago, right, right before. I think they played with MXPX right before mm-hmm. the lockdown sometime. And I was like, I hit him up. Like, I couldn't go to the show. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't make it. Like, hopefully you guys play again or whatever. And he had been hearing, um, like we, had, we had put out a couple uh, of the first Ironside tracks online and we're kind of, you know, getting ready to play a show. And he was like, he's like, those sound rad, dude. Like, if you're working on any music that, fits with me or whatever hit me up send me some songs i'll sing on them and uh i was kind of like cool whatever and then you know once you know we were a few years in or a few months into the pandemic and there's like not much to do uh i I started talking to him again and he he and danny had already worked on a couple songs that they were like hey do you want to add a couple extra guitars to these songs are already done um so so that was cool and then i just was like you know what i haven't written fast punk music in in 20 years let, let like i'm just gonna try to do it and see how it turns out so uh so yeah so I, I sent him an idea and he was like whoa this is this is like a way better demo than i thought you than i expected and and danny liked it and so you know it's you know it's definitely a side project where we're taking our time and everybody works full-time those guys all have you know those guys have families and full-time jobs and have crazy schedules too. And Josh has like podcasts and all these other things going on too. But, um, but we're finally, we finally have like a, a new batch of like four or five songs that we're finishing up. Um, we, you know, it's not official yet, but we do also have an awesome, uh, person playing drums on the new songs too. So 
hopefully we'll announce that soon. Definitely some, some cool, like old school tooth and nail alumni, uh, for the lineup. And, you know, we have, we're, we're excited to share those. So those are hopefully coming out this, uh, this spring, you know, definitely influenced by nineties punk and hardcore, um, and post and post hardcore and that kind of thing too. So I, I'm glad I didn't so, yeah. say who the drummer was. I, I didn't know it was on, on the down low. So I'm glad. Yeah. I well, it's like, I, yeah, it's kind <laughs> of on the deal for now. I don't, we didn't, um, it hasn't been made official as far as like on the, on the social media or anything. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to hear these tracks, you know, based on what we were talking about, about the different sounds of them. Like definitely yeah. sounds up my alley. You know, I, I feel like my entire, uh, high school years were just like all pop punk. And then eventually I kind of got away from it and I've been getting back mm-hmm. into it again. The new slick shoes record that they put out, like yeah, so really good. energized me. I'm like, Holy smokes. You yeah. know, like, yeah, there's so still good. some bands. So there's still some bands going too, but especially like, oh yeah, just straight up pop punk. You know, you, there's a lot of like the four year strong, a day to remember, like kind of mm-hmm. heavier hardcore influenced pop punk bands. But then when you catch some of the just pop punk bands still doing it, you know, like State Champs, Real Friends, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's cool to hear that it takes you back. You know, I, I don't know if we were talking about it or if it was someone else, but you know, it's. It's just hard when bands put out new albums. Like, you know, when I want to listen to punk, I still like go to like Punk and Drublick or like right. old, old, you know, like Dude Ranch or, you know, even like Huntington's keep putting out albums. But, and mm-hmm. I love like high school rock and get lost and yeah. fun and games. Same with MXPX. You know, I think teenage politics through slowly going the way of the Buffalo is kind of my sweet spot. And Those are the classics, yeah. Like I listen to their songs. I'm like, these are really well written songs and I'm going to yeah. go listen to teenage politics. now. <laughs> the only, the one of the bands that like really inspires me still, even with their new albums though, is uh strung out. They just, they still like, they still play all of the, and they've been around for so long. And those guys, I feel like they've almost gotten better with the songwriting, you know, like, whereas like they're one of the few bands that like, I, I like their newer albums, like almost better than the ones I loved as a teenager. You know, yeah. I I don't feel like I've heard a strung out song since the '90s. Like it was like oh, a dude. You got to hear them, man. They're you just, know they're just amazing. I'd always yeah. hear them on comps and stuff, but I just I think it, like it's just the same thing. Like I'm more into other bands, so like if I'm gonna mm-hmm. listen to something, I'm gonna like listen to this other band <laughs> instead of right. You know, really reach out and check out some new stuff. So I'm, yeah. I'm the same. I mean, I still listen to like I'm still just always listening to like Hum and Quicksand and Failure and. And, you know, the, the nineties, you know, the nineties grunge and, and, uh, metal bands, I still listen to those more than anything else, you know? Well, that's what's <laughs> funny about the pandemic is that like, I was always that way. Like I really didn't check out new music and now like, I feel like the, the records I listen to the most right now are like pandemic records, like the be well spirit box and turnstile mm-hmm. and knocked mm-hmm. loose. Like that's the majority of my listening, I feel like every now and then yeah. some stuff gets sprinkled in and I listen to like yeah. too many podcasts, which is why I started a podcast. But <laughs> same, well, I say I listen to too many too. I, I guess I, I'm the same kind of the same lately. Like I, I listen to like the newer, um, the newer Mastodon and every time I die albums are just from this last year. were just so good. Yeah. Just you like know, amazing albums. And so, so, uh, on point with like the vibe of the year and like, mm-hmm. The, you know politically or like emotionally like what so many people or myself has been going through uh or what you know what you hear on like you know in the media it's just like it's like you know hits that spot you're like yes i don't know what it is that. about every time i die but they're one of those bands where i've just always been able to acknowledge that this is awesome these dudes are amazing and i just don't care like it, it, like <laughs> if i see them at a show and stuff like they're one of the most brilliant bands you know i yeah. i i was really yeah. bummed uh when they toured with mastodon and coheed um yeah. i was running late because of an accident <laughs> on the interstate and i got to hear their last two or three songs while i was waiting in line to get into the venue i, and I, I was had the bummed. exact same i i had the identical experience to you actually like i I, I, I left work early that day. My wife and I went to the show. It took us like an hour and a half to get to the show in San Francisco. By the time we got parking and we got in, they were playing the last song <laughs> of the, of their set. And it was like, you know, they played map change and then it was like, thank you guys. Good night. Oh, so man. I was, that's the last, the last time I'll ever, cause they just broke up. So, right. 
that's the last time I'll, I, I get to see them. I got to see them play one song, unfortunately. But that's pretty much all I see in my feed right now is stuff about every time I die breaking up and uh, yeah. the when we were young festival in Vegas. Like, <laughs> that's that's all it is right now is just people yeah. talking about those two things and uh, yeah. Um, I'm I'm sure the the dudes from Every Time I Die are gonna keep going. You know, it sounds like they're just gonna call it a different project, and so yeah. it'll be interesting to see what they do. You know, uh, hopefully moving forward. But uh, before I let you go, I also want you to talk a little bit about you've been playing with uh, Don Fades, and uh, tell us a little bit about that and how that got yeah. started, and kind of what you guys have going on. Sure. Well, I you know it was kind of like something that came out of the blue. Um, the you know, they've been a band here in LA since like, I think 2018 or something like that, 2018, 2019. And, uh, they're all like veteran players from other bands that have been, you know, around, you know, the, the early two thousands or before that too. And, uh, the, they, they put out an album, they put out their second album. Um, that just came out this past fall and, uh, Josh Newell, the bassist, the bassist for Ironside and also, you know, who's like this amazing uh, music producer that's, you know, worked on so many records that are, that are amazing out there. He mixed the Don Fades album. And so they, they actually, their, their rhythm guitarist left the band um, during, during 2020, like during the lockdown, like, Hey, I'm just going to do something different. And uh, so Josh hit me up. He's like, Hey, I know these guys are looking for a, a guitarist. Um, you know, do you want to join? And I, you know, I was kind of like hesitant to join because I was so focused on working on all these new songs for Ironside and St. Didicus. And, uh, and, but I was also just really, really wanting to play live. And I was really frustrated over the last few years about the, 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 how long it's taking to put the, you know, put these albums out. And, and, you know, that the fact that like both of my bands are dudes are spread out in different parts of the state or they're, you know, just just too too crazy of careers and family things going on during a pandemic to play any shows. So I, you know, I reached out to Don Fates. I said, "Hey, I heard you guys need a guitarist." And uh, it turns out they 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 were, were super stoked that that uh, that I was interested in playing with them. They practice at a place that was like a mile from my house, and you know, they're 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 a great band, and it was like something that. I, a style of music that I've always loved, but I've never played in, you know, like, like a, like a much slower tempo, uh, kind of post metal, uh, you know, kind of band that I, I love, you know, I love cult of Luna and ISIS and all those bands and like, and enslaved. And I just never have been in a band or, or been in a, with a group of guys that was writing music like that. So, you know, it's been a, such a different project for me than anything other that I've ever been in where I've always kind of had to be like the manager of the band and one of the main songwriters and be in charge of so much stuff in the band. And this is like a no, uh, this is like a band where I just, I joined, they're already established. You know, I had to learn their songs and just like play them well and make sure I show up for practices and shows. And it's, it's kind of, it's been super refreshing to meet these new guys. You know, we have a lot of the same influences in music and, we all love like nineties rock and, and uh, you know, we're all on the same page, like as far as our expectations of like what we're going to do as a band, you know, it's not like, it's not like one or two guys in the band wants to be full time and want to tour and the other guys don't want to do anything. It's like everybody, you know, everyone's a little older. We want to play, you know, play a couple shows a month and practice every week and write music that we love, you know? It's, and so it's just been an amazing couple months with these guys and, um, they put out an amazing record. So I've just been, I've just been like being able to be a part of it. It's like a cool experience. It's something different than I've ever, I've ever been involved in. And it's, it's starting to go get some momentum, you know, it's like, you know, COVID, COVID willing, Lord, Lord willing, <laughs> COVID willing, <laughs> but you know, we have some good, we have some cool shows coming up this spring and, you know, we're trying, we're mostly sticking around the, like the California, SoCal area. But, uh, it's cool. And, and it's a, it's another outlet that I have. It's different music than the other bands I'm in. So there's no conflict or anything. And, uh, it's challenging too, cause it's different. It's, you know, different chords, different style of playing that I've played. So it's really like helped me like expand my playing, you know, and, and, and 
and challenge me in different ways than I've ever, than I've ever been involved in. So it's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like an awesome change of pace. Yeah. It's really fun. Like being part of a new, a different scene, different guys and, uh, not having like a, like a history of a scene, you know, it's like, it's not, it's not related to anything that I grew up with as far as like Christian scenes or tooth and nail or, 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 uh, warp tour or anything like that. You know, it's totally different from that. And, uh, it's like a fresh, it's just a really cool, fresh start uh, with these guys. So I'm loving it. Sweet. Where can these uh, fine people uh, connect with you if they want to reach out to you or find out like what your bands are up to or talk to you about like a uh, mixing and music engineering side of things? Where are the best places to find you? Sure. Well, I'm on uh, Facebook and Instagram. I'm still under Fighting Mike since the Fighting Jacks days. So at Fighting Mike on Instagram and Facebook. And, uh, you can still look up, you know, you can look up Ironside, um, uh, or, you know, uh, fighting jacks. I'll still, you can still get in touch with me through fighting jacks, social media as well. But, uh, yeah, hit me up, um, hit me up on Instagram or Facebook. I don't do any other, uh, any other, uh, social media other than that. Does, uh, St. Didicus have any social media yet? Or is that still just kind of, yeah. St. Didicus has, um, has, uh, Instagram and I think it's just ST Didicus, uh, on Instagram and Facebook. And then we have a band camp as well. You can, you can hear the songs that are already out there and, uh, you know, look for those new tracks to be coming out this spring. Hope we're hoping, you know, nothing's official yet, but we're like trying to figure out maybe if we're somebody to put the, put out, uh, put out an EP and uh, actually kind of make it an official band instead of just a project. So definitely look up for that. It's, I, I can't wait for it to be out. Like we have rough mixes of songs. I'm super pumped on it. So it's uh, definitely has some nostalgia and, but also something new as well mixed together. So awesome. I can't wait. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming on and uh, we'll look forward to hearing those later this spring. Right on, man. Thanks a lot for having me. And uh, it's really nice catching up with you. It's been a very long time other than talking to you on like, you know, old, uh, you know, chat boards on Facebook. Other than that, I haven't <laughs> talked to you in person in so long. So it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we'll have to do it again soon once you guys get the tracks out and uh, yeah, kind of focus more on some of the new stuff you're doing. For sure, man. I, we have, we'll have some, hopefully by the end of the year, you know, some new Ironside songs are out uh there's a lot of music that's ready to come out for that too we're just kind of finishing the finishing the the vocals and finishing the production on those and uh so hopefully you know and and i have a few other projects that are happening too so i'd love to catch up with you again and maybe you know share more music once it's actually out yeah absolutely done deal sweet it was awesome to have mike on this episode and just in time for the episode dropping on the podcast his new project, St. Didicus, with Josh from Dogwood and Joe from Slick Shoes, just dropped their new song, This Was All. So I hope you enjoy it.